Hello and welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder. I'm Megan Silas. And I'm Pam Marvin. We are so glad that you're here with us today for the fourth and final of this four-part series on marriage. Today we're really going to be talking about um, marriage maintenance, I think would be a way to put it. Um, Ways to um, foster your spiritual and emotional intimacy in marriage. And also we're going to talk about some the physical intimacy aspects of things. And I'm so glad that Pam's uh, got real some great expertise in this area. She is a natural family planning um, clinician, shall we say, someone who helps train uh, people of couples and women uh, to learn more about their um, fertility and, and how to live out uh, the marriage, you know, in the physical way, uh, ordered towards God's will for marriage and our, um, procreative aspect of, of marriage. So. Right. Um, as you said, I I am actually a Creighton model fertility care practitioner certified. Thank you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have put a lot of time and research into the aspect of human sexuality. And one of the things that we talk about is what is your, um, your greatest sexual organ? It's your brain. Yeah. yeah okay. Sure. So there's actually an aspect in the Creighton model where we talk about the spiritual, physical, intellectual, communicative, and emotional health of the couple, which is kind of what this is going to be about. Is we're going right. to talk about all those aspects that makes a really well-rounded uh, physical and emotional health of a couple. Right. I I, th- I think a lot of times um, there's the sometimes there's an inappropriate sort of segmentalization of these things uh, in the life of a couple. It's like, well, you know, we're good uh, as far as getting along and things uh, emotionally and stuff, but you know, things are trouble in our sexual life or vice versa. And that's really not how it works to be a healthy, holy individual. We need to be integrated within ourselves, right? And we need to be integrated within ourselves, then integrated with each other in the various aspects of what it is to be human. And if there's a problem in one area, it's going to spill over in another area. And I'd like to start with the emotional and um, sort of spiritual intimacy, because I do think that that's really the core of where some, the physical intimacy should flower from. Exactly. And if, if you're feeling connected, if you're feeling like um, sort of respected and honored and um, desired for who you really are, and uh, you're, you're engaging in, in things that foster that, if you, you know, were into each other, you know, sexually before you're going to continue to be uh, into each other sexually because you feel so loved and so affirmed and, and that grows out of that. So in marriage, let's talk about some of the ways that we can, in a real practical sense, let's really try to keep this podcast as practical as possible as as really living out a marriage in the day-to-day life, how we can foster like feelings of emotional and spiritual intimacy with our spouse. Well, the spiritual aspect, too, of course, we want our spouses to be praying together. We've talked about that on on some of the previous episodes and how to get started with praying together, maybe just the scripture or rote prayers like the rosary. We did discuss that. And then more so now with the kind of just that um, the real human aspect of it is one of my favorite go-tos is the love languages. Mm, Yeah. 
right? I really love that um, in my personal life and just with my other good, close spiritual friendships. One of the things we do when we think about the marriage being not as happy is let me start with saying that um, I like to use the analogy, of, as we all know, that Christ is a very integral part of a sacramental marriage. You've got him, her, and Christ. And so one of the ways I like to teach some of my younger couples is to look at um, the that Christ aspect as being the help of the marriage. Like it has his own entity. Mm-hmm. Look at that and see how healthy is it? Is it being neglected? Does it need more um, attention and time? of the marriage. And so some of those things I just talked about with that, the intellectual and communicative types of necessities for a marriage. So there's going to be some practical ways how to fluff that up is the way I like to say it, because in our culture, it's been just kind of minimized to the eros or the sexual aspect of a relationship. And it's so much more um, through all his research, Dr. Thomas Hilders has said that the inner soul of human sexuality is love and tenderness. So how do we express those in our everyday um, our everyday relationships? So do you know what your husband's love language is? We actually just talked about this the other day. Ah, thank you, uh, Jesus. Like the whole family kind of like talked about what, what their love languages are. And um, he said that his love language is um quality time mm-hmm. that's mine so, uh, he said quality time first acts of service was second um physical touch was third and words of affirmation were fourth wow so interestingly uh we match up on the um quality time i am definitely a quality timer very good and um i then i would say probably physical touch after that for me and then acts of service and words of affirmation would kind of be right. in the same like kind of vying for right I usually always like to say what's your top two or your top three mm-hmm. um, and also I want to just give a shout out to the author is Gary Chapman of the love oh, languages oh, right. because yeah. Love Languages of Teenagers was a very helpful and instructional book for me when I was parenting teenagers too because it, when they feel deeply loved, they behave better. So this is all about feeling deeply loved in the human sense. But of course, we know that really comes from God first and foremost. Yeah, no. So my husband's has actually changed over the years, too. So I think it's oh, always yeah, good to really revisit those. Mine is quality time and his is words of affirmation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think one of the thing, the traps that we often fall into is because we just tend to function out of our our own vision of the world and our and how we receive love like because that speaks to us so much we tend to give love the way we want to receive love exactly and that's a real trap right because what can then happen is is that you're going about thinking that you're loving awesome because if you did this if somebody did this stuff to you you would feel really loved you think you're loving the other person really well and the truth of the matter is they're not really receiving it the Mm -hmm. way you want to because it's just not what speaks to them of love so it is really good to know what does speak to your spouse of love, what makes them feel secure, what makes them feel respected, and what makes them feel um, that you're really attending to them. 
Because unfortunately, because life is very busy and, you know, there's a lot of things vying for our attention, it's so easy to take our spouse for granted and just be like, they know I love them. Let's, they just know, and I don't need to um, really foster that feeling or uh, do any work to make that happen. Um, so it's almost in a way we move from what is at, at the beginning of a romantic relationship that like, oh, I just well, I want to do everything and anything to show my, my beloved how much I love them. We move from that erotic like focus on the other into the that that storge familial love, which is, can be very taken for granted. And I think that's a lot of the problem that we ended up into in our marriages where we do take each other for granted and mm-hmm. we just like, yeah, they love me. They're my spouse. Of course they love me. But we really need to experience that love in in real ways yes. in everyday life to undermine. There's insecurities that are going to pop up in, in all of our lives um, when we just don't necessarily feel seen or feel valued for who yes. we are. And if our spouse, that most intimate person yes. in our life, isn't giving us um, that sense that, uh, yes, I see you and I love you for who you are, the enemy is going to come in and, you know, he's going to sow his lies and we're going to be very susceptible to believing them because if we can't trust that our husband or wife loves right. and, and and truly values us for who we are, how are we going to have any a, a decent time understanding that from anyone else? So, know? so Megan, would you agree with me if you say that like in the beginning of our, our marriage relationships that the working out what does it mean to be a good communicator within a marriage that was a tough one. What does that look like and what does that mean? Because I think it's a little different for each couple, obviously. But in talking to one of my um, adult children who's really working on that aspect in the relationship, it was like, hmm, what are some good tools for opening up communication to make sure it's really good? And um, one of the first things, and maybe you can add to this, but one of the first things I, I offered was, you know, instead of saying how you think or what you think, you know, pose things more an act of a question mm-hmm. um, instead of saying, you know, let's play or let's pray a rosary. It comes to call, would you like to play a ro- pray a rosary? You see what I'm saying? Like that, that's just a small example um, of trying to get communication started is the way of just uh, posing questions and what does it mean to be a good communicator within an, in a marriage? I think it's a really tough question. I don't know that I even have a good answer for that right now. Yeah, I would agree. And and also understanding that the needs for communication can be different between individuals. Like some people really need to talk stuff out like a mm-hmm. lot. Like they just need, they need to really get in there and hash things out. I think out. that's mostly the women. Is that right? Would you say? You, you think know, some men honestly, feel that way? Like it's, Thaddeus is joining us as well on this one. So do you think the men need to th- talk it out it, sometimes? That's a stereotype and it probably is more common than it's from the women. But I have seen couples where it's really the, the man who wants to talk ah. more and the woman is like just not... She, doesn't want to go there. So I can see that with temperaments would be different. Yeah. Temperament, I think plays a big role in it, but understand that there are differences and being aware of those differences and there's going to have to be accommodation, right? Uh, You have, you aren't going to get necessarily everything you want from the other person because they're not you and they're not necessarily ordered towards or capable of giving you what you would hope for exactly in the way you would hope for it. So I think there's a certain sense of understanding that the other is different and that's okay. And you 
you know, make accommodations for each other to the extent that you can. Right. I think one of the, during my time of just growing up in my 20s, I used to think that men and women were so similar, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of like taught that, I don't know, enculturated that, oh, there's not much difference between the sexes. But as I grew and became a little wiser, I'd hope, um, I started seeing there's, you know, there's a lot of difference. The way we process things, the way things are taken in, it's, it's by nature of who and how God made us. So the way we communicate is a little bit differently too. Um. Good morning, ladies. Uh, you you said I could I could jump in. Of course, of course. Um, so I'm Thaddeus Romanski. I'm the general manager of Red Sea Catholic Radio, who is so honored to have the two of these ladies be our first podcast hosts, podcast only show. Um, and I I was listening to what y'all were talking about, and I think that in our our marriage between my my wife and myself, um, one of the key things that we try to stand on is giving the benefit of the doubt to the other trying to, we don't always do it perfectly, but making a conscious effort to remember that, you know, the other person is not trying to screw up your life. They're not trying to inconvenience you when they say something, they, they most likely have the best of intentions behind it. They're not acting out of um, resentment, anger, I think trying to keep the benefit of the doubt at giving the benefit of the doubt at the center of the relationship mm -hmm. helps to kind of ward off things being said out of resentment, things being said out of, out of anger or feeling neglected. So just always trying to put the best, you know, face on where your spouse is coming from, because that's your, that's your other self. Truly, I mean, you're you're united in in one flesh, and you you should love and give due regard to your to your own flesh. Right, and, and kind of when you're sense. saying benefit the doubt, um, I kind of hear, and what I like to incorporate is being merciful. Like you don't have all the facts. Know that you don't have all the facts there, mm -hmm. um, and show a great amount of mercy to the spouse when they're behaving in X Y. Mm -hmm. X, X, Y, Z way. Yeah. Well, one of the ways I like to think about that is um, I've had a number of experiences um, in relationships where, uh, you know, something could have been taken poorly, you know, an action could have been perceived as, you know, not charitable or ungracious or something like that. And, you know, I've said to the person, well, I didn't look at it that way, even though it could have looked that way, because I know your heart. That idea of I know your heart, I know right. I know who you are, I know your love for me, and I trust that that you know the goodness within you and your desire for my good um, isn't going to be um, undermined by these motivations that could be really ugly and selfish and whatever. But I would say this: um, in some relationships, um, when behavior over time is uncharitable or ungracious or not loving, then you do start to lose that trust. And that when you, if you're feeling that in a relationship, if you're feeling that I no longer trust that my spouse desires my good or loves me for who I truly am, you need to address that. Like you can't just ignore that and play nice, nice and try to uh, 
white knuckle your your loving of the person. Like you need to address, you know, something's happened in our marriage where my heart doesn't feel like it can trust your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you get to a place where you're not trusting and you don't really um, feel the safety of the relationship, it's going to spill out into these other things, right? And you can deny it all you want, but if it's there, you're that like the physical intimacy is going to suffer. And I think this is what happens in marriages a lot. And again, we've got a little bit of a shorter podcast this time because we've just been running a, a against some scheduling things regarding the studio. So I want to move to the physical stuff because I do think that it's really important, but I think this is a good segue. If you haven't had the ability to maintain um, your emotional intimacy and there's hurts that have been um, creeping into your relationship and they've built up over time, I think they very often do then spill out into your physical relationship. And a lot of times I think you start seeing the um, acts of tender affection in physical relationship will start going first before you stop having like um, intimate marital relations, sexual relations. Um, So if you stop like touching each other's hands, you stop hugging, you stop, you know, um, kind of sitting together close on the couch. If those things are really stopping and not really present in your marriage, you probably should start looking at Where's my heart? Right. I'm glad you're bringing that up because a big part of intimacy in the marriage relationship is um, what they call affirmative touch. And that is with children as well. And the affirmative touch is like the holding of hands, the kissing on the cheek, the hugs and things like this. There's even been studies done that say like to have a it, about the, the endorphins that get released mm-hmm. with just a smile and hugs and things like that. So these are actually very healthy for the relationship. They say something like on average optimal is 12 hugs a day. I'm like, wow, I don't hug that much and I'm a hugger, you know, (laughs) but those are very important to the overall um, aspect of building that side up, that uh, affirmative touch versus say like an arousal touch and being able to identify which is which is also very important. You'd be surprised with my work with couples. We need to discuss that because uh, over time, sometimes couples have drifted apart because they, they've muddied those lines. They don't know where those lines are, so they stop touching a lot. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. very important to know. And I, I think there's a couple of reasons why those touches can tend to decrease. If you're not feeling the affection that motivates those touches, certainly it can. But, and again, and then also if, if the wife, more often the wife, I would say, um, if she's not feeling ordered towards sexual intimacy, if she feels like anytime I like, you know, run my hand on my husband's arm or give him a hug that he is assuming that means that I I want more that evening or whatever, then you can just in wariness be like, I'm just going to like keep it to myself because I'm not in a place right now where I want to go there. Um, But the reality is, is that, um, that's the arousal versus affirmative. Yeah. It needs to have a discussion all over again. And when, but when you lose those affirmative, it has a significant impact on the emotional uh, aspect of the relationship as well. And I would like to pose this to you, Thad. I think it is a bit of a stereotype, but one that I think may be true in a lot of cases. Um, I think men perhaps do receive more of the um, emotional affirmation from the sexual union than maybe women do. Like um, we, 
like we, I think the hugginess, the cuddliness, um, maybe speaks to our emotional needs sometimes a little more, and it might be on the other side for men. So, what's your opinion on that? Because that's just my opinion of a stereotype, but that I think maybe commonly true. Can I can I actually ask you to maybe clarify what you mean when you say emotional um, feeling loved, feeling loved. Um, I don't know. I, I think, I think that there is some, I think maybe you are onto something there, but I also have read some things and I, for myself and some other male friends that I have, I think there's a lot of feeling love that men get from being respected and praised by their wife and hearing her say that, man, you, you work so hard or you mm-hmm. sacrifice so much for us, or I'm so proud of you. You're so good at what you do. Um, you're, you're great at this hobby and thank you for, you know, making this wonderful cabinet that you did for us. So those words of affirmation. Making me a great cocktail. We were Uh (laughs) were just talking about the, uh, the benefit dinner, uh, whatever, whatever it might be, I think, but I think men really, a lot of men really like knowing that their wife respects them for being in that role of provider, in that role of leader, in that role of protector for the family, I think there's a I think there's a lot there too. Right. I've actually read a whole book on it. You know that uh, Emerson Egerich, I believe it is, wrote "Love and Respect: The Love She Most Desires and the Respect He Desperately Needs." Okay. So that's how we process things. We need love and how it looks to us. Which I'm good at giving that love. But my husband's that falls on deaf ears, so to speak, you know, because I'm, again, trying to give what I want to receive. But it's that respect. So it, if you think about it, and I think it's really good to contemplate what does it mean as a woman to dive into how does my husband receive respect? Uh, that's very important because we our brains aren't quite wired that way. And so one of the things that I came up with, and this is Pam Pam's ponderings, was one of the ways to really show my husband respect um, was courtesy, like really good manners. When he comes home at the end of the day to get out of my chair and go greet him at the door and give him a kiss and say, hey, I'm so happy you're home. And that kind of courtesy shows a sign of respect. Do I feel like getting my honey out of that chair? You know, after a long day, I'm like, no, not necessarily. But do I want my husband to be feel, feel loved even more so? So learning what that means. I mean, that was a really hard concept. What does respect mean? Well, then it, it all came together for me one day. I think it was a, a homily by Father Greg that was talking about, you know, love as a verb. I'm like, you know what? Respect's a verb too. You do it. It's something you do. It's very similar. You say it's out of your actions, right? And so you have to kind of weave those in. How do you, how does he receive that respect? That was just one of Pam's ponderings, I'm saying. No, I, I do think that the, the respect issue is really does speak to the heart of a man and is going to impact um, how he feels towards his spouse, for sure. Um, and that's part of understanding, again, what is the love language and, and what makes the, the person feel valued and, and feel loved. And that we need to attend to those things and be um, mindful of them on a daily basis, uh, not take for granted that our spouse just knows. Right. right. Be willing to speak, be willing to act in a way that that's in accordance with what you, you know, espouse to believe that right. that 
that I love you. I, I want you to know that love. I want to show that love to you. Um, but I really do think that it's important to not ignore when you're feeling like you don't want to show those things. Like you're, if there's, if you're feeling like, I just don't want to show my respect for my husband by doing these things, or I don't want to have um, intimate relations with my spouse, you got to do that self-examination Absolutely. and really try to understand where is that coming from and where and where's the hurt or where's the disappointment or where's the ever, whatever it is, yes. and, and come to understand it within yourself and then bring it to your spouse. Because unless you resolve those things, you're just going to be, you know, right. But amazing each other. When you're a real emotional person like I am, some days I'm just having a bad day. I'm just having a bad day and it's just a physical thing. But I, speaking of physical, one of the best things a couple can do for, for their physical intimacy is natural family planning contraception will suck the life out of a marriage faster than anything else. I'm a big believer that that is the cornerstone of things when they started going wrong is the human person, the people contracepting and holding something back, not giving and not being all in for each other um, through the gift of self and the gift of their fertility. So natural family planning, my favorite is the Creighton model, obviously because it has underlying causes as well of, well, that examines gynecological health. But I've seen couples come in um, that I've coached personally that came in wanting to get off contraception and have said to me, Miss Marvin, you are so right. There's just something different. It's more intimate. It's more personal. And it's more beautiful. Mm-hmm. And and they're some of my biggest spokesmen now for, for going from contraception to natural family planning. And what a difference in the intimacy they experience is. And. That really brings us all the way back to episode one and talking about marriage as a sacrament, right? And when we're ordering our marriages towards a, a sacramental ideology that we're doing what we're doing within our marriage as ordered towards God's will and his plan for marriage, when we're in that sweet spot, you know, uh, of thinking and living in marriage, there are going to be more graces, so it's not so much, I would say it's not so much just the practice of natural family planning, which does involve, and we're going to do a show all about that. So we're not going to really dive deep into natural family planning. That's definitely on the list of uh, shows to do. But yeah, you're going you're gonna to have to come to, you know, co- you're going to have to communicate with your spouse. And that's a benefit of, of natural family planning that brings you closer. But I just really do feel that you, when you're living within God's will for marriage, which is to be open um, to, uh, you know, fertility and things, there's more grace there. And in the end, Absolutely. you know, we could talk about all day long. We could talk about all sorts of practical ways to go grow closer to your spouse, get more intimate, learn more about each other and feel closer. In the end, grace trumps all. And the more grace that's operating within your marriage, the happier you'll be, the closer you'll be, the more in love you'll be, the more satisfied you'll be, the more better witness you'll be. So... I guess in the end, as we're kind of wrapping up this four-part series on marriage, I would say, where do I find the means of grace? Always seeking what's going to gain for us in our relationship the most grace from God. How can we open ourselves up to the floodgate of grace that he has for Mm. us and wants for us in our marriage? And because it's there it's it's not like prayer we have, and sacraments yeah we're not like we have to beg him for it it's there for right. for the asking and if we can come together as spouses 
you know, maybe actually on our knees in prayer or figuratively in our lives and the things that we do, constantly beseeching God's grace for right. our spouse and for our marriage and our children, there is where the source of true Christian marital joy will be. And, and Megan, it just goes back to the whole reason that we even began the podcast is that all of our relationships should be rooted from our relationship to God, to Christ. When that relationship's healthy, it will just spring forth like a beautiful font of love coming from the heart of the Father. Absolutely. So we just encourage you as you, you know, have listened to these podcasts and maybe you're starting to think about how you're going to implement some of these thoughts and ideas into your marriages, you know, come before the throne of God, ask him for the grace um, to live a holy marriage. When you, when you feel things aren't going right, look at each other and say, let's find the Lord in this. And if you're, and if your spouse doesn't even want to come with you there, then you look to the Lord and you say, help me find you in, in him or her. How do I love better? What yeah. kind of, how do I do that as a verb that makes them feel loved? Right. Because at the end of the day, it's really God the Father loving through you. Amen. And so um, I think we'll finish it at that yeah. and with the knowledge that we're going to go deeper into the topic of uh, you know physical intimacy and, and NFP and a, at a podcast comes soon. And just hope that uh, the conversation has been a blessing to y'all that have listened. I know it's, it always blesses yes. me and, and uh, to have these conversations and to take them back into my own life and try to live them more authentically. I don't want to be a person who st sits on a microphone and says things and then doesn't try to live them. So God forbid uh, we be hypocrites in our own life, Pam. So, yeah, so we, thank you, everybody that's yeah. joining us today, because uh, this is our love of Christ that we're trying to just outpour on you today. So we hope that you felt love through this podcast as well. Amen. So until next time, God bless.